Hello, Internet Dwellers, and welcome to Franchise Schmanchise. I am Jeff Bell, here with my co-host, T.C. DeWitt. Hello. He's over there. Hello. <laughs> and today, we are watching the 1988 movie Die Hard, starring Bruce Willis and directed by John McTarnan. And by the end of this episode, we will answer, does this movie deserve a sequel? And like Hans Gruber, let's fall right into this bad boy. <laughs> oh, oh, good burn. start. Good start. <laughs> that was not the opening we discussed. <laughs> no, I, see, I told you to throw me a curveball right off the bat. That's what I wanted. <laughs> All right, I got my brand new Rolex watch ready to be released from my wrist so Ooh. we can fall into this. Oh, oh, I have my packaging tape on my back, back. with That's good. a bullet. That I'm just going to throw at you. Should we assume that anyone listening to this has watched the movie? I would like to assume that. Okay. Um, I feel like for this, because for for this podcast, this whole series, like the whole point of this is going to be, we're going to talk about the movie as if you've watched it, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and maybe something that I do will be a small little mini episode prior to the series of episodes going, hey guys, we're going to start watching this movie, you know. These movies, oh, so yeah. do <laughs> heads like up. a do like a plug this week on Franchise Manchise. We will be reviewing Die Hard. So if you haven't seen it, now is your chance to hit up Netflix where it is streaming. Exactly, like something just so that way people have the heads up, and then you know, then we can't be responsible for yeah. spoiling anything. That's right, right? Although everyone everyone should have seen this movie. Christmas just passed. I know so it's a Christmas obviously movie. A Christmas tradition. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh man, there's so much people. There's so many people who give crap about the fact that this movie is not a Christmas movie. <laughs> it's like, oh hey, come on! Now I have a machine gun. Ho ho ho! <laughs> that is more Santa than ninety percent of Christmas movies in the last ten years have been. Okay, so yeah, come on now. Come there's on. a lots of red. It Keep might be the Christmas blood. in Die Hard, people. <laughs> that's 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 the way the slogan is, right? That's how it is. Hashtag. Keep the Christmas and die hard. <laughs> oh, man, we need to start making shirts. All right. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, obviously, uh, we're going to talk about this movie as if you guys have seen it. Um, I know you and I have seen this movie countless times. Yeah, m- but, many, uh, many times. Many, many times. And both of us had just recently rewatched it. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so so I guess I guess... Let's just let's just start talking about the movie. Let's just let's let's throw it out there. What is what are what are why is this a movie that that for you personally, I mean we'll get a little personal because that's gonna obviously help our opinions and help support mm-hmm. our opinions. Why is it a movie that you come back to watching? What about the movie do you like? What works? Uh, it's it is it, actually to to be honest, it does remind me of my best friend growing up, my best friend Jason. He had the Die Hard poster in his room. He watched it. He was the reason I ever even saw it in the first place. So I do definitely have some nostalgic fond memories for it. But the growing up and continuing to go back to it, it's because it's this standard of action movies. The simplicity of it, the the realism, which I'm putting air quotes around. <laughs> um, because when you look at action movies now, they are so blown out. They are so over the top. Yeah. And you can only suspend your disbelief so much. With Die Hard, it's, it's the everyman, John McClane, played by Bruce Willis, to perfection. This really, when you think about it, a schluppy, middle-aged, 
balding beat cap from New York, detective from New York. Not really that good looking either, really. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) and he he changed the definition of action hero. He was he he cried, and it wasn't the the bawling freak out PTSD of Rambo. Oh, he uh, <laughs> oh God, I just laughed John, so hard at that scene. John McClane is real; like he he's an everyman, and you can see. And I feel like he's you can see yourself in him. I can see myself in him. I can imagine. I, oh man, I, yeah, I think I think I could rise to the occasion like that. <laughs> And the thing is, is that when he does, he does rise to the occasion. But even even when he does, I'm peeking for some reason. I apologize. I'm looking at my microphone here. I'm going way over the top. Let's bring that down. There we go. But even when he... Uh, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Is that is that worse? <laughs> Let's go this way. No, that's worse. Hold on. Sorry. <laughs> oh, this is... Oh, yay. Episode one. Um, <laughs> Learning. <laughs> Learning. Working the kinks out. <laughs> But no, so uh, oh man, I'm not a space. But yeah, even when he does rise to the occasion, so he does. He 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 has those moments going along with your saying, like the whole realism to it. He has mm-hmm. the moments where he's like, no, I, I can I, I can do this, I can do this, and I can help this and this. But they don't always succeed, you know. Yeah, things yeah, he's don't not perfect. Right. He's not in, and he's not indestructible. That's another thing that happens with with modern day action movies. And, and even action movies of the past, the hero is indestructible. This this guy, John McClane, tooth and nail, fights to the bitter end, bleeding, beat up, stay. Ah, and, yeah. you know, it's, it's... And you can tell by the end of the movie... When it's the final, the final face-off between him and Hans, like mm-hmm. you can tell when he starts laughing, there's a part where it's almost like he's he's <laughs> lost it, like he's he's <laughs> not there. <laughs> yeah, he's a little crazy now, and and that's that's the beauty. That's going back to that kind of realism because mm-hmm. if you were put into that situation, which this is this whole movie takes place in what like five hours maybe. Yeah, yeah, like a night. A it's, night. It's from sundown well and well to midnight, somewhere in there. So like six hours, maybe that even, you know, five six hours. Right. And and it's and, just and you you would be that way too at the end of the night, you know, or <laughs> after that whole thing, you'd just be like, oh my god, it's finally fucking over. I'm so glad and, it's over. And another thing that that brings me back to this movie so often is how well written it is every little detail oh yeah play plays out over the course of the movie you are introduced to that watch right up front <laughs> right holly's watch the role it's a rolex you know they they just draw attention to it in that first scene with ellis when john gets to the party they just draw attention to it and that's it and then it pays off in the end when he unclasps it unclasps that watch to kill hans <laughs> very good that's point tight you, yeah. you 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 almost you almost I mean they they introduce it to you at a point where you actually forget about it, like mm-hmm. you kind of go like oh yeah that's the, the watch okay whatever and then you <laughs> it's don't because Ellis is the one introducing it and you just hate that guy <laughs> it's like you cokehead anything you say I'm just gonna ignore <laughs> John Bubby no it's Bubby Hans. he does it to Hans, Hans Bubby, Bubby I'm your white knight <laughs> Ellis 
Ellis, you don't know what you're doing. Just tell these people you don't know me. After all, how could you say that after all these years, John? <laughs> oh, Ellis is the worst. Oh, man. Is he the one death in the movie that I'm actually okay with? No, no. Oh, my. The FBI agents. <laughs> oh, the Johnsons. God. Oh, Which, that was See, that... so... So I made some notes, like, when I was watching mm-hmm. the movie. Again, as many times as I've seen it, I still jotted down some of my own notes just to kind of remember. And one of my notes was... One of my questions was actually, were the FBI guys made to be dicks? So when they died, you didn't care about them as much? Like, because even... Maybe. <laughs> even Nakatomi, or Nakatomi, the, yeah, the mm-hmm. president, dude, he... Yeah. When he gets killed, you're still kind of like, oh, shit what what why uh okay like you still at least have a visceral reaction when the fbi guys go down the helicopter like oh good because they were kind of annoying like i just didn't care about them anymore but here's the thing every single character in this movie is memorable even those two johnson and johnson dickhead fbi agents true because you got one is like 10 years older (laughs) 10, 15 years old and the other one. He's like, just like just like uh, Saigon, huh? It's like, asshole, I was in junior high. <laughs> like, just that those two sentences speak um, miles about the characters. That not only you have these two generation gaps, they're both dickheads. Obviously, they don't know each other very well. Right. One of them was in Vietnam. One of them is, <laughs> was, is you know, mouthing off to his idiot partner like, you dumbass. Dick, hey, dickhead, I was in junior high. Yeah. Like that's great, and and all the all the thugs, all the cro- like uh, Hans group, Hans group. <laughs> <laughs> Each one of those groupies. guys are in are individuals as well, and and I maybe not don't know their names, but I can I can say oh there's the there's the the twin the brothers the two blondes right. one's got the glasses one's got the long hair he's pissed <laughs> oh that guy looks pissed <laughs> <laughs> only John can make somebody that angry. <laughs> Um, and, and going, so then you have, you have the, yeah, cause you have the, you have the, the black guy who is actually doing the drilling into the vault, mm-hmm. you know, which is okay. And he's and, got all the sports metaphors. Right. Uh, <laughs> you, you have Huey Lewis who is running the front desk. I, I always uh, thought it looked like Huey Lewis too. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That is one of my notes. I got 50 bucks riding on this game. <laughs> one of my notes. I think it's the like fourth or no. Yeah. Like my six notes for the longest time. I always thought the henchman who takes over the front desk was Huey Lewis. Always. I so did. I always. literally said that to Candace when we were watching the movie. I'm like, you know, I always thought that was Huey Lewis. <laughs> Cause it's like, it looks like him and it kind of, it's like, well, it's the eighties. Maybe he wanted to be in a movie. I, I don't know. It's what, what do most musicians want to do at some point? They get into right. acting. So he got into back to the future. That's all that matters. <laughs> hey, yes. Uh, <laughs> and then there's, there's the, the, the Asian guy who gets the crunch bar. Yep. Who's in every single eighties action movie. Yeah, he's, he's the eighties Asian henchman. He played, um, Attila the Hun in, uh, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Yep. <laughs> he's also, I think, I think he's in the Ninja Turtles movies. I think he's one of the turtles, I think, oh or he's, gosh, or no, no, he might be one of the hench or one of the foot. Uh, um, okay. yep. And I talk in the original turtles, mm-hmm. not the, yeah. not the and the then, uh, obviously he's in lethal weapon. He's the guy mm-hmm. who, uh, electrocutes Mel Gibson in the first one. Like, like that guy, I'm like, yeah, he's in everything that I watched as a kid. <laughs> you know what? I, I, you know, it's another thing. Two of the greatest '80s assholes are in this movie. You got you got Dean Vernon yep. from The Breakfast Club, yep. who's uh, um, uh, this is a uh, this is a uh, Lieutenant Ro- Captain Robinson or whatever his name is, the the Al's boss. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> and then you got reporter 
um, ET, uh, EPA extraordinaire. What's his name? Richard. It's it's the I, redhead guy. I was I know I was just gonna I was just trying to look up look him up really really quick just to to oh um um uh oh um uh, William uh, William Atherton. Atherton. Okay, there you go. That's it. Yeah. Um, who? Just who is Ghostbusters, top secret, <laughs> diehard. I feel bad for that guy. He probably couldn't walk down the street in New York City in the 80s without getting eggs thrown at him. <laughs> hey, dickless. <laughs> oh, man. But you know what? He plays it so well. And so that's, well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's the yeah. beauty he's of so it. Good. It's like he is, he's the dick you want to hate. He's the guy you want yeah. to hate. And, and, he does and you it know so what? Well. He's still not the worst person in the movie ellis is still the worst person in the movie <laughs> that's true oh ellis oh, man i just then, oh my god i always remember ellis like whenever i whenever i watch this movie like the first two times i'm watching it i'm just like what why is he why is he doing that what is he what, what stop it no dude because they're obviously cocaine. going to kill you <laughs> cocaine jeff cocaine Ah. Oh crazy 80s man they just they get the best of you don't they stupid yeah. 80s <laughs> so so going so, along with that like so one of the things mm-hmm. I, I started thinking about on this viewing of it uh, of the movie was was uh, the, uh, the movie has a f- has a fair amount of timelessness to it mm-hmm. like okay yes some of the cl- some of the clothing choices some of the architecture um to a degree, and then there's a couple comments and references made uh, generally about poli- not politics, but like political or government uh, or uh, yeah, like yeah. rulers or stuff like that, or people of the era. Y- y- a little bit of stuff like that, but outside of all that, it's actually fairly timeless. Like, there's not it a lot does of hold up, right? Yeah, it holds up, and that's what I, I I realized this time. I'm watching it going like, so not only do you have Bruce Willis playing an everyday man where, you know, a lot of people could, like like you said before, a lot of people could put themselves going, oh, yeah, I could, I think if push came to shove, I would, I probably could do something like that, you know, or, yeah. or you know, some degree. Much easier, much easier to imagine yourself as John McClane than Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone. Oh, exactly. Oh, I would, I could totally imagine myself as John McClane over Rambo. Well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Any day. <laughs> I don't know, Jeff. I've seen you with your shirt off. That's you true. Look like Sylvester Stallone. It's the muscles. It's mm-hmm. the muscles. Uh, <laughs> but so Always not only do you, <laughs> not only do you have that, but you have you have this very fairly timeless story and movie. You know, really, it it all. You know, the the, the bad guys still come down to just being bank robbers. You know, mm-hmm. all they want is the money. That's all they care about. They don't care about anything else. They just want. To make get money and then to, to go to be gone and and that goes back to what I said about the the simplicity of this movie is that it really it it's not super complicated yeah and it, even even to the point that there are no surprises in this movie we as the audience know all the information yeah we know that the bad guys are lying we know what John knows we know what Hans knows we know what Al and the cops know we know everything. And yet, it's still thrilling to watch it play out. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh I agree. I, I totally agree. Yeah, there's no there's no punches hidden. The the closest you get to anything being surprising is just when somebody dies, like who gets yes, killed. Yes, yeah, but but plot wise, there aren't any surprise twists that happen along the way. Because like a modern day movie <clears throat> would, if you think of something like Swordfish, 
Okay. Which, uh, sword, swordfish is kind of, uh, that's um, the John Travolta, Halle uh, Berry. Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman, yeah. Right. And that all comes down to a robbery, too. And John Travolta is playing this blown out, super over the top Hans Gruber, right? Right. So in Die Hard, we know that the roof is rigged to explode. We know that they're going to blow up the helicopters to fake their deaths so they can escape through the basement. We know that. Right. There's no, in, in a modern day movie, they would like trick you like, ooh, the roof blew up. Clearly they're dead. No, Ex- no. And then had the the surprise at the end when they're still alive or, or mm-hmm. something along those lines. Yep. Although we do still get that when uh, <laughs> when big, tall, long haired blondie comes back from the dead for Al's uh, little uh, bow tie on the end of his story. Exactly. Exactly. Which which I always <laughs> I'm like, oh, nice little uh Nice little like slasher film moment where it's like, oh, we totally killed the. He's the... still alive. <laughs> Which I'm like, how the hell, how the hell did he get out of the building? <laughs> and down. I mean, I know he has the blanket on him, but and I suppose he yeah, just yeah. mingled in with everybody else, and nobody thought a question because John was the only one that really knew what he looked like, who was still alive. Crafty Russian curse him well you know he was mad about his uh his brother dying so uh <laughs> he, he had good cause for being pissed off <laughs> yeah oh carl that that was it oh he is no carl, longer yeah. alive oh that's oh, sad he died in 95 oh. holy cow oh, sorry wow. he died pretty soon after the movie yeah he did i i'm now i'm just i'm i was just i'm, I'm on imdb and i clicked on him alexander uh Godinov? uh carl Carl, yeah. <laughs> no, he died in uh yeah, he died in forty five. Or he died at the age of forty five. Well, that kind of sucks. Sorry, not not to be a downer moment there. Uh, uh-huh. just <laughs> Well, okay. To stay with the downer moment, I wanna I wanna make a criticism about the movie that you're saying it's not dated. Okay. And I will absolutely agree that this movie holds up so well compared to a lot of other movies from the eighties era. Mm-hmm. And it's it's due in part to its simplicity, not worrying too much about fashion or playing up technology, although their computer hacking is kind of goofy, that's fine. <laughs> True. The one thing that is kind of a little off-putting now, just because of the climate we live in, is Al. And the reason he is in the position he is in. He oh. doesn't want to be out on the streets anymore. He's just a desk jockey. He doesn't want to be a cop because he shot a kid. And that's is a little weird now. It's True. very minor. I'm not going to make a huge deal out of it. But it is something that I, I only recently was made aware of, and I was like, oh, my God, that is kind of messed up. <laughs> <laughs> so like what you're saying, like nowadays they wouldn't do – do you do you feel like they – excuse me, just <laughs> throat decided it, it, to stop. Uh, <laughs> it hits a little close to home in some of the issues we deal with now with a lot of police brutality and the unfortunate, unfortunate circumstances of cops shooting people these days, mm-hmm. to have his kind of arc be, okay, he shot a kid, he doesn't want to do it anymore, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, sucked into being involved in this Nakatomi Plaza thing, and his the end of his arc is he was able to draw his gun and shoot someone to death again. Yay, <laughs> Al did it. <laughs> now, Carl, go and live in Chicago. <laughs> And continue being. 
<laughs> oh wait, that's full house. I'm sorry. Uh, close enough. Um, I always still, uh, I still for the longest time going along that route, and for the longest time have realized that Reginald Vale Johnson just likes playing the same character. <laughs> which is generally a, a police officer and <laughs> I like to think he, that after the events in Die Hard he mm-hmm. decided uh, I killed people I still don't want to kill people I'm going to go into witness relocation and oh, go to Chicago sense. with my yeah. family and continue to raise <laughs> raise my children in a different city by the name oh, of man. Carl Winslow there just saying it Carl Al Powell Winslow, kind of similar. Pretty Just, close. You may be onto something. Ah, uh, this is like the opened. Pixar theory. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, hey, now uh, Reginald Vell Johnson reprised his role as Al Powell in the TV show Chuck. Really? Yeah, they did a Die Hard episode. <laughs> that's 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 the store is being taken over by terrorists, and they have the. Morgan, the little sidekick character, is the John McClane, and um, their boss's brother is a Los Angeles police officer by the name of Al Powell, who shows up and does the whole, reenacts a lot of his moments from this movie. I need to see this episode of Chuck now. (laughs) You can can find it on Netflix. I I just thought it was worth mentioning, because Reginald Vell Johnson, Al, is a great character. Oh, he is. awesome an amazing sidekick. Yeah. He's and he's he's a sidekick that you don't I guess in part of my head, he's a sidekick that you don't expect to be a sidekick. Like mm. there's that level cuz cuz when he first starts off in the movie and and this kind of goes back to um to my, my my question of like I, I wrote down one of my other questions was is Al really a good cop? Now I wrote that <laughs> <laughs> at the beginning, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I obviously I know he sticks it out and he's he's the one that believes in John and he doesn't you know he he knows that John's doing the right thing and we need to listen to him. But at the start of that movie, he is kind of the guy who's like ugh, like he doesn't really go through with his job entirely like when he goes and he talks to I'll Huey Lewis all these twinkies please yeah okay. <laughs> talking to Huey Lewis he's and talking then, to Huey Lewis and then yeah then he goes and talks to Huey Lewis and he like he just he walks in walks 10 feet away from him and just basically goes forget this and then goes to leave <laughs> it's like dude there was shots fired that call that 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 on call lady at the police station she had to hear shots being fired so oh yeah I mean they're all like oh god what's that and like when the gun goes off on the rooftop and right like, oh send a send a black and white down there <laughs> I don't maybe 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 the LAPD is is just a lot more lax than you most know, I was people. I just gonna say it could be because it was Los Angeles, <laughs> and it's just like eh, whatever. Yeah, yeah, we get this sort of garbage all the time. <laughs> but it's just like I—that was my first thought. Of like, oh my god, he's a horrible cop, and then he spends the rest of the movie proving he's not a horrible cop. Yeah. <laughs> Being like, he's, no, 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 he's, he's I like John. Cop. He's old school. He he has good instincts. He knows he knows when to shut up. <laughs> you know, yeah. as he tells John. He believes in John, and and he's he's a great sidekick in the in the movie. And oh, he despite is. the the modern unfortunate circumstances that are reflected in his character, I think Al's great. Al and Argyle, are, <laughs> like Argyle is such a minor character, but to again to go to how good the script is, they cut to him at all the right times. He has a nice uh, introduction as a character. You get to see him throughout, and then he has a nice final moment where he gets to like. Because he's us in a fashion. He's listening 
to the whole thing happen with John, and he gets it in his head to like, I'm gonna stop that dude. Okay, here I go. <laughs> Boom! And he runs up and punches the dude. And he's like, Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then he kind of, he kind of, that's it until the end. That's and that's yeah. pretty much. I feel like ninety percent of the human, like ninety percent of the population, would also be like, Yeah, I, 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 I helped. All right, mm-hmm. I'm going to go over there and have a panic attack now because I actually <laughs> punched a guy. <laughs> but I'm done. Yay, I did something. <laughs> and you know what what makes it what <clears throat> what I love about excuse me, what I love about uh about uh, Al and being a great sidekick is that him and John don't physically meet until the last what 3 minutes of the movie. Yeah, right like, at the very end. He's such a great sidekick, but he's not literally right beside John the entire movie, you know. Yeah, he's he's the moral support the whole time. But it's and it still works. Like it's still he still is a great sidekick and and they have a great rapport between one another and and it's just like, oh, this is I I I in my head I I pictured like John would move to LA and work with Al. Like that's kind of the friends with him. Oh yeah. 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 Like he would just be his bud. It's, um, (laughs) it's a credit to, it's a good development of John's character in how he interacts with Al. Like he's, he, you know, the first time he shows up, he's like, who the who's driving that thing? Stevie wonder. And he's like, welcome to the party, pal. And as soon as he gets them on the radio, He's like, hey, was that you? I was uh, I dropped the body on. How you doing? You okay? And they become friends really quickly, and they have a very good chemistry right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And it's because John is such a good guy. He's a damn good guy, and he knows a good guy when he's talking to him. Right. Yeah, because he knows immediately when he's talking to the the deputy chief. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, what? Craig, Craig Robinson. Yep. <laughs> Just, just like, just like, no, no, Dwayne. Just, just, I'm sorry, Dwayne, Dwayne Rob- Robinson. That's right. <laughs> but he's just like, you know, like he talks to him for like two minutes and basically just tells him to shut up and put the other guy back on the phone. Put the other like, guy back on. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like you said, he knows he can. John can tell a good person when he talks to him, and knew immediately that the deputy chief Dwayne T. Robinson was just going to be is just is just a not the by the books, but just the cliche dick asshole yeah, character go, he's like no i don't want to do detention Dwayne. oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so good though i just i was trying to think of some of the other stuff here that uh like like hans is what's yeah, nice let's talk about hans let's talk about, let's hans. Talk about hans gruber here An, a very ultimate villain here in in cinematic history but why let's talk about him he's not the at this point in time and i'm trying to think of like circa when this movie came out the late Mm -hmm. 80s we had so many villains that were very obviously bad guys cliche bad guys twirling and ringing james bond level clearly i am the bad guy exactly questions about this but then you get somebody like hans gruber and hans is very well educated He's, you know, he is, he's almost like a businessman. He, he, he borderlines on like, he looks like somebody who would own a company. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of feel like him and Nakatomi would like 
or sorry, not Nagatomi, uh, Tagagi. Ellis. Oh, yeah. Tagagi. Yeah, yeah, Tagagi. yeah Tagagi. Like, I feel like those two, like, though, like if not for the situation at hand, they'd be off playing golf somewhere. They'd be at business meetings. Like, just, oh, he's just another one of the rich guys in L.A. Because he's... Let's discuss a hostile takeover. <laughs> just like that. Uh, <laughs> of Hogwarts. Um, but the... <laughs> so bad no um but like it's it, he he's very he he knows what he's talking I mean, he knows he recognizes the suits that he's wearing because mm-hmm. he's got two of his own like like yeah. little things like that and it's, it's and he's smart he knows what he's doing but at the same time he is he also is putting on a little bit of an act because like when he's when he's listing off the oh i need you to oh you know here's our demands get rid of all these people and he you know, our, he pauses. Our brothers in arms who yeah. are in prison across the world. <laughs> and he and he pauses and he's like he's like, I read it in Time magazine. Like just mm-hmm. little things like that where he's still human. They made him human. He's not just the Bond grand villain. Yeah, there's and there's something to be to be said in that, that he has intelligence. He has some history. We don't get a lot of answers about who he is. But it's in Alan Rickman's portrayal of him that he that he he feels like a full fledged person. Something that was pointed out to me in watching it again recently, um, I think it was Candace or, or her brother pointed out Hans's suits aren't tailored to him very well, <laughs> and I don't think that was like a stylistic choice. But it kind of it kind of speaks to the false uh, the fa- like. Uh, the false, like the airs he's putting on to be this this grand super thief. He's he's not an excellent thief. Mm-hmm. He's he's faking it. He's faking it really really well, <laughs> but is still faking it nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. And, gotcha. and having his suits not fit him quite right kind of shows. Well, you you are you're not as high upper class super thief as you think you are. You you are just a, a robber, a bank robber. You might as well be wearing black and white stripes with the bag with the dollar sign on it. No, I'm an excellent thief. <laughs> That's a good point. You know, I guess I, I never I never noticed that. I never noticed that in any of the viewings that they're not as perfectly tailored. Which then that brings up a good question. Does he actually have two suits? <laughs> Of his, of his own. Yeah. He well, might have them, but he might have stole them. <laughs> right. And that's why he knows it. Like, did he get him from the, did he, you know, did he actually go out and buy him, buy them himself because he's got that much money? Obviously, if he's robbing banks, he doesn't have a ton of money or not mm-hmm. robbing banks, but robbing a corporation. Um, but that's actually a good, that's a good theory. That's a, I guess, yeah. not a good theory, a good point. Like, I guess I never, I never pointed that out. He's, See, he, good he podcast. Could, <laughs> <laughs> if I, I do I say so myself. Feeling, oh, yeah, I, I, I will agree with you. <clears throat> but he is, he's kind of like the really geeky, bullied guy who's really, really smart and decides, you know what? I'm going to take what I, what I, what I'm, what I deserve. Mm-hmm. I deserve this. And, and it's kind of the, the backlash of being maybe of being pushed around as a little as oh you brainy you nerd you knock your books out of your hand style of upbringing that led him to like no I'm gonna I'm gonna use my brains and and get back at the people who hurt me I want all the money you know, it I'll seems sh- a little a little bratty yeah like I'll show them I could be just as good as everybody else and I'll you know yeah I'll get away with the money and I'll go and live on you know my own island somewhere collecting 20% you know (laughs) it's yeah he's really really smart I don't get the sense though that he has done this 
more than may, maybe a couple times. I think this is his first big gig that he's out there to prove he's one of the best. And he's got it all worked out in his head. And then comes along John McClane, the fly in the ointment, the monkey in the wrench. <laughs> well, and what was the news? The news reporter was talking about something like that in that one quick shot or scene that uh, when they first identified who Hans was being like, they believe that he was a member of this organization, but had recently yes. been kicked yeah. out of it or something. Yeah, yeah. And, and I almost wonder if that, that's a great little bit of character information about Hans that like, oh, well, he was part of an organization that booted him out. <laughs> what was it? It's a it's a German. <clears throat> uh, at some point in his adult life, Hans fell in with the Volksfrey, a West German terrorist organization. However, he was expelled from the movement, presumably for his overly violent and extreme methods of getting things done. So what would be an interesting thing is if maybe Hans was actually like a Carl in that organization. You know, like yeah. he oh, yeah. wasn't he, in charge. Oh. He was a henchman. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and he led some sort of coup like, uh, come on, guys, we'll go start our own terrorist group. Exactly. <laughs> So that's a oh that's interesting and then this and so this was his first like oh yeah we can do it and off they went and it mm-hmm. happened to be also his last <laughs> and I, and I don't feel like there's any need to explore that I don't think we need it's just all hypothetical oh, it just yeah. it's Alan Rickman's portrayal of this character is so spot and this was his debut this was his first time on screen that's amazing uh, to, to to start your to start your your filmography, you know, officially like uh, on the on the big screen with a character like this is That's such amazing. a. How do you live up to that? <laughs> and, and you know what? I think that looking at his library since, I feel like, like Alan Rickman has done a damn fine job choosing the roles that he has chosen. He, he has, has a very good library. He has, and he's in so many films and so many like things that I love. I love Alan Rickman. You know, I, I mean, mean he's, that, he's you said it before Severus Snape. I love him as the Mediterranean and Dogma. Oh, yes. I liked him as uh, Alexander Dane in Galaxy Quest. Oh, yes. Yes. The Leonard Nimoy <laughs> the, uh, ex- analog. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the character who just doesn't like I cannot believe we are still doing this character. I was a trained <laughs> actor once, but fine. <laughs> By Grathar's hammer, what to savings? Like just, <laughs> I love it. But, I love but, it. But to speak to another debut, we have uh, we have our hero. We have Bruce Willis, John McClane, and we've talked about him in, in terms of being the everyman. Mm-hmm. But where where I feel that Alan Rickman has thrived in his career, making good choices, I I almost question: Is John McClane in in this movie the best thing Bruce Willis has ever done? Now, and I don't, obviously we don't want to talk about the subsequent movies, so we should just focus on this one. But just, just a quick little thought. Seriously, what's the best thing Bruce Willis ever did? Oh, uh, you, you kidding me? Uh, voice of Mikey from Look Who's Talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, got me there. Yes. You know, that's funny because John Travolta's in that. That's exactly. <laughs> See future episode of Franchise Franchise number 627. Um, Where we watched the, oh my God. <laughs> I want to do Look Who's Talking at some point. That's going to happen. Those movies are going to happen. <laughs> Season six, episode 27. You just said it. <laughs> so get ready, folks. There's going to be at least 620. 26 more of these uh what did i just do oh boy. <laughs> i don't Canadian. think there's that many franchises I don't think um, so 
<laughs> Look Who's Talking will be the final franchise that we do. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be horrible. Um, that's a good... Uh, that's a good... Hmm. I, I, have, I, I don't want to, to dissect Bruce Willis's career, and I think maybe we should just discuss just how damn good this performance is. Oh, but why, yeah. why is this so good? That's, that's a good question. Is, is it because... I, I think maybe... Bruce Willis knew he was not the best choice for this in Hollywood standards. This was this was a chance. They took a risk by picking him. By putting by putting a very everyday at this point everyday man esque mm. looking person. You know he doesn't have. You know he's not rippling biceps. He's not oh. like um, oh my goodness I just spaced. He's not like Magnum PI. He's not Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck. No, you know, he, in fact, Tom Selleck, I'm sure, was probably approached about this movie. I'm sure Stallone and Schwarzenegger were approached about this movie. But they picked a comedic actor yeah. from a network TV show, Moonlighting, Yes, and, and took a risk on this guy. And I think he knew. I think he knew that he had, a, he had, to, he had to prove that he was capable of doing this and prove that he was capable of more than just being the wisecracking love interest on a uh, romantic comedy TV series. He he went at this role. I just feel like there was a level of commitment into his performance. A lot of the one-liners were Bruce Willis ad-libbing. <laughs> Which totally works. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, it, 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 it works and it fits his character. And this this mm. is where you can start getting into the the argument of being like, well, is it is it all Bruce Willis that makes his character so memorable and so perfect? Or is it a lot of the writing in a lot of the direction and he just kind of filled in the gaps. Like it's so hard to know unless you read the original script, I guess yeah, original I shooting script, but still like it, it being it, told, yeah, being told that, um, that he ad lived a lot. Uh, um, that speaks to him to give him the more, more of the credit, the majority, majority of the credit should go to him for ad libbing and living and breathing John McClane as well as John McTiernan directing him and saying, yeah, go, no, no, go, do this. Right. That's that's a credit to those two for, for making this movie happen. For knowing that the character, or that, yes, that's the correct direction for this character to go. Like, mm -hmm. make him more sarcastic and witty and, 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 and <laughs> normal, basically. You know, it's not all, you know, yes, it is some one-liners and there's some some gags, but it's still like, no, it's 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 fine. That's the character. That's who, that's who John McClane is. You know, as of this entry, apparently um, Robert De Niro was offered John McClane. Hmm. Now, eighty-eight De Niro. I I feel like De Niro probably just just guessing would have stuck very closely to the written word, mm -hmm. and we wouldn't have gotten the smart ass, lovable kind of everyman joker that John McClane is with Robert De Niro. I feel like the movie probably would have been very serious. Yes, I agree. I agree completely. I, it, it would not be the funny lighthearted film. <laughs> lighthearted as much as it is lighthearted. It uh, yeah, it's, pretty, it's still a pretty violent movie. It's, it's still it's still as serious but it has a great, I know what you're saying. I know yep. what you're saying. It's got a good funny bone going through the entire mm -hmm. thing. But yeah, with, a, with Robert De Niro in there, it, it would have just been another 80s dark gritty i feel like it would have almost been more along the lines of like a clint eastwood like dirty harry 
yeah esque yeah. film a little more serious you know action violence yes but mm-hmm. it wouldn't have been the energetic upbeat because i cannot picture robert de niro running around in his you know bare feet shooting at guys with a gun not not this not that era robert de niro cut out there oh, oh sorry did i <laughs> Yeah, sorry. Oh. My my headphones must have cut out there for a second. Oh, sorry. But, but no, but I absolutely agree. I don't think, I, I like I said, I think De Niro would have approached this very seriously. Not to say it wouldn't have been a good movie, but there's it's the it's what Bruce Willis did with the performance. It's that level of humor throughout that makes this movie shine. It makes mm-hmm. it stand out. Yep. No, I agree. I agree. And that's what, it's just, it's fun. Like, I just, I like watching <laughs> I like watching John McClane. I like watching. I like uh, what I love about this movie is I love. I love going back to some of the writing. Sorry, I just hit my microphone. So professional. Um, I like going. Like I like watching the way they convey information, especially in the first fifteen minutes to establish everything. Like you said, we as the audience, we know everything that's going to go on. We know. We mm-hmm. you know the plot of this film. Literally in the first 15 minutes of the movie, you know who your characters are, you know where the characters are, you know who's doing you know what. what the stakes are. Right. Yeah. Like, I love the little thing, and I made a note of this. The, the thing that I love the most about it is they don't come out right away. They do eventually, but not right away and go, yes, Holly and I are having troubles with our marriage. Like, it's not immediate. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of subtle kind of referencing at like like eh, well how but how much trouble is it like are these two people who can't stand looking at each other <laughs> are these two people who are who are just you know well no she went here i've stayed in new york whatever we're fine yeah you know? our, our gal gives them a little grief about it it's like ah she, you didn't think she was gonna make it out here so you didn't move it's like you're a very observant guy argyle yep and like i love the i love the subtlety of of when he finds out that she's not using the last name, like <laughs> he like rolls his eyes, like yeah, son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's all visually, and it's you know on a, on a on a screen of like ten names, and you don't necessarily know who is what. What what am I looking at? Like that was always my my biggest confusion because it's such a wide shot of those <laughs> names until yeah. he hits Holly's name, and you realize oh that's not you know he does he looks up McLean he does the MCC. And then doesn't find it, and then looks up the Gennaro, and then it's like, oh, she's not even using her. Mm, like just little things like that that I'm like, oh, it's so clever, so well written, so well done. Like they just they they mm. don't hate each other, and you get no. that because you said you know it's uh, it's piecemealed out their relationship in that first 10, 15 minutes, and in how she looks at him when she sees him the first time, like hey, John, there you are. She has this bright eyed. She loves him. She clearly yeah. loves him. And she still has talking, their photos on her desk, you know, like yep, yeah. all those and little talking, tiny things. Uh, talking to the baby, the housekeeper, babysitter, and saying like, "Why don't you make the spare bed? I'm gonna, I want John to stay there tonight. I'm gonna ask him." She doesn't say that, but that's the implication. Mm-hmm. And even so, even so, like then later on, when when he when they are talking, when they do finally get their moment alone, and they're talking, not later on, but a few minutes later, and you know, she's like, "So where are you gonna stay?" Like it's all very. You know, not gonna come out and say it, but you know, no, no, you're gonna be in the car half the time. Just, just come on, don't you come stay with us? The kids are gonna like it. Just, they're trying. They both yes. are trying, and they want this. It's not a marriage that is over. It's not done with, but it's done in so well that you, in those first fifteen minutes, because 
obviously, as you continue to watch, you realize they, after that opening scene, are not together again until he comes in at the end with the gun strapped to the back to his back. It's like that's safer, yeah. Yeah, that's the next time they are in the same room together after that initial conversation. So it's like you have to showcase you have they they had to show like how how these two mm-hmm. do want to be together and what why John is even caring. Because frankly, if they didn't give you that information, you as the audience could be watching it going, Well, why does he even care? If if yeah. they're not if they're not really together, why does he even bother? Just you know, fuck her, just leave, whatever, so go save yourself. Like really, you could you could go that you could complain that why well, I don't care, I don't care that he's trying to save her. You know why did he have a second? You know why why did he have a change of heart all of a sudden? Just <laughs> but but you get that so well in very minimal dialogue. You know, right. yeah, their their interaction right there sets up the stakes for the audience to to answer that question of like why should we care. But the fact that he's he's not just out to save his wife, he's out to save all those innocent people mm-hmm. shows how big of a man he is. It's not just about, i got to save my wife, she's down there. Because he, he does a good job at protecting her and not talking about her and not saying. When he talks to Al, he says, look, when this is all over, find my wife. Don't ask me how. You'll know when this is all done how to and tell her I'm sorry. Right. right. It's it's about saving all the innocent people inside, not just his wife. Yes, his wife is is his main goal. Like he he came to L.A. to save that marriage. He lives through that night to save his wife. But he's also there to save all those innocent people. Yep, I mean he could have easily just like run in at one point, guns a blazing, and took out as many people as he could, like as many of the bad guys as he could. Grabbed Holly and tried making his way to the staircase or something. Like there's many different ways he could have attempted to save her if she was the only mm-hmm. one that he cared about. But yeah, you could see in his head when he would do something. You know, he even has lines like that. But just like you know, think John, think like what you know, like okay, well, I got I got to go about this a yeah. different way. Like he understands there are people's lives. He why would he care about any of the people on the on the roof when they're all up there? Mm-hmm. You know, if he didn't care about them, he wouldn't tell them that the roof is about to blow. It's been rigged to a blow and trying to get him to go back downstairs. He wouldn't care. He came up there looking yeah. for Holly. That's all he cared yeah. about. Where's Holly? Oh, she's down there. Well, everyone get off the roof and then I'll go save her. Exactly. Instead of just turning around and leaving, which I also mm-hmm. a big part of me wonders if movies nowadays might have had him run off. And not maybe not save the people up there, and that again the whole yeah, twist but, of the roof being rigged to blow would to, mm-hmm. would not have been revealed. He wouldn't have known about it, you know. So then that way he goes up there. He's like, okay, okay, and he runs back downstairs, and then you have the explosion where you find you know you realize like, oh my god, those people just died. Like <laughs> and like, I, the, I think in a modern movie, Al would have gone up there and saved the day to make it more complicated to give a a more. Um, spoon-fed arc to a character. Mm-hmm. They would have had Al rush up there and save the people. They would have split it off instead of having John running his ass off all over the place being the hero. They would have found a way to make other people have arcs. Maybe maybe Dwayne Robinson himself would have gone up there and saved the day and redeemed himself. <laughs> but he doesn't need redemption. No. That's why this script is so good. That's exactly. why this movie is so good. He's a dick. He will always, he's always been a dick. He will always be a dick. John's End of the story. Hero. Yeah. <laughs> John's the hero with a nice little extra bit for Argyle and Al. There and you Al. go. <laughs> just, and, and yeah. <laughs> just like, all right, that's good. I'm okay with that. Now, Holly herself is relatively a, the weakest character in the movie. 
but I won't criticize her completely because she still has. There's still so much about her we get from how she she walks into Hans and says, "We need to have bathrooms." And there's a pregnant one out here who needs a couch. Who what idiot put you in charge? You, you did. did. <laughs> You're the idiot who put me in charge when you shot my boss. Like that's she's she's tough, and in those all the like the the moments like that. I could see why someone like John McClane would love this woman because he, she's, she's she doesn't she, take shit. Exactly. She is literally him mm-hmm. <laughs> to a degree. Like that's and it's the whole like not opposites because it's not the opposites of tracking. But uh, um, yeah, no, equal. like it's another it's an yeah, it's his equal. It's his equal mm-hmm. person that will that will that obviously she's not going to the reason why she's not giving up on the marriage is because she is kind of tough. And she's like, no, we will work. We'll, we'll figure out a way to make this work. We'll mm-hmm. take care of this. Oh, that's something that we have to, okay. <laughs> For another time. Um, yeah. so I, I, I will point out that you chose die hard to be the first episode here. Yes. Okay. And really die hard is a sequel. That okay. is true. Now, that now is true. Die Hard, the franchise, began here. Correct. But Die Hard came from a book that was a sequel. It was a second book in a series called The Detective. And The Detective was made in, what, the 60s? Yep. Starring Frank Sinatra. Now, obviously, not the same as Die Hard. <laughs> no. But it's, yeah, not not even by a long shot. In fact, a fun, fun little factoid is that contractually... They were obligated, Fox was obligated to ask Frank Sinatra first to take the role or pass on it. Before they could go forward with casting, they were contractually obligated to ask Frank Sinatra if he wanted the part. Could you imagine? (laughs) Oh my God. No, I can't. I don't want to. (laughs) No, 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 no. Hold on. Could you imagine 70 Three-year-old Frank Sinatra. Hey, Hans, <laughs> let my wife go. Yeah. Yeah, piece of boom. crap. Boom, boom. Ho, ho, ho. Now I have a machine gun. Boom. When oh. the weather outside is frightful. Do you think he would sing the end theme song like Will Smith oh, yeah. did? Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh man, uh, that would just so, <laughs> Oh, that would but, be such a different movie in so many ways. Boom. Funny or die, college humor. Make that parody. You know what? What am I talking about? We should make that parody. We should. Movie preview. Die. In 1988, Frank Sinatra was contractually obligated to play John McClane. If he wanted the part, this is the movie that would have existed. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Uh, Twenty years ago, he played Joe Leland, a New Come York to the cop. Coast, have a few laughs. <laughs> <Now I> <laughs> Boom. Okay. <laughs> wow. But this this was the beginning. This this is oh. this movie. This movie is so good, and it's and it's all you can watch at any point in the year. It's funny that you would pick this and that we recorded today because I spoke to my older sister today. <laughs> and just in conversation, she mentioned she hates this movie. She thinks it's the dumbest movie. She cannot suspend her disbelief that anyone could go through this, and she hates it. And I was like, I need you to rewatch this movie. You have to watch it again. If you haven't seen it in a long time, mm-hmm. watch it again. Fresh eyes, fresh opinion, and see 
if you have different feelings about it because so many movies since have mimicked it because it is a it is a formula that works so well why not make it uh let's see die hard on a plane die hard on a boat die hard as a little kid who's left home for christmas yep Yep. And it really did. It spawned like it, it redefined, uh, you know, and I know that this <laughs> in modern movies and like the trailers and reviews always use that phrase like redefining a generation's love for action. Like I hate that phrase, yeah. that whole like redefining, but mm-hmm. it, it technically did. It kind of went, yeah. well, here's some things that worked from past action movies or past mm-hmm. movies in general, not just action. And we're going to take that and we're going to kind of tweak it and modify it a little bit. And here you go. Here's the new one. It doesn't have to be a Rambo. It doesn't have to be an Arnold Schwarzenegger. It can be an everyday man. Let's go. And yeah, so many movies since then have have mimicked that style of the everyday man being in this outrageously over-the-top world. Now, this movie, on the other hand, does still, while yes... I will I will agree and I can understand some people's opinion on the movie being like it's so over the top it's so that's so unrealistic that would never happen that would never happen that would never happen. just right, he would have been right. dead you know <laughs> 10 minutes in the movie or whatever like like but you, you can't fall from an air duct and grab a ledge it just doesn't happen <laughs> it doesn't happen without you're going to die um <laughs> you're, he's in the air vent at this point with broken fingers but like you, you Past that, past that, those those little bit, because there are not that many over-the-top moments. Not that right. many over-the-top. There is a lot of very realistic, yeah, that could that could happen. That could have happened. I suspend my disbelief that far. Right. It's not like movies nowadays, you know, where, I don't know, there's a giant action scene and you dive out of a helicopter and you don't have a parachute and you land on a building and you tumble over <laughs> and explosions are happening and you get up and walk away. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> fine. <laughs> you know, like, you watch him in this movie. He gets his feet cut. He's stumbling around for the rest of the movie, obviously in pain. He gets shot. He's got a giant wound on his arm. He doesn't use that arm that beat, much anymore because it hurts. Beat, beat. He's beat down. He's beat yeah. down. But, you know, the only reason why he still even goes, because, yes, the average person would just be like, fuck this, I'm done. The only reason why he's even still going is because he, like we said, he is trying to get Holly. He is trying to do the right thing. And if he had his way, he would die trying to save those people. I feel like in the end, he would have, he would have. He would have sacrificed himself. Exactly. If it meant. Very cliche. If it meant him diving towards Han and taking him out the window with him, that is the only way to save Holly, he probably would have done it. Mm-hmm. You know. But obviously that's not where it went. And <laughs> yeah. we get it we get a happy ending. We get a happy ever after. Al yes. will have a crap ton of paperwork to fill out. Oh my god. I could not imagine Holly gets to go have Christmas. <laughs> I could not imagine the level of paperwork involved <laughs> in this and just all the rules that you, you, that they got you know that got broken yeah. and just oh. well, you know what we we don't need that that <laughs> I'll suspend my disbelief because I don't I don't even need to see it. that could be I'll just assume that happened I don't need to see it right but my but I ask you as you ask yourself and ask me and ask the podcast here did this movie leave you wanting more right right because I mean that is the point because tr- truthfully when it comes to this this podcast when it comes to this the point of this sh- this show is mm-hmm. to discuss should there have been a sequel 
in in our yeah. opinions. Again, this is strictly our opinions. Right, and and we we aren't fools. We know there are sequels to this movie. Exactly. But the question is, just based on this movie alone, do we need more? Do we do we want more? Do we need more? So, what do you think, Jeff? So this is um, before we started. I made that comment. Um, I love the characters. I love the story. Mm-hmm. I don't need a sequel. Personally. Yeah. Like that's that was I and I realized that I realized by this recent viewing and again like you said we know there's sequels and mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. we get to the other ones we'll talk more about them but I watched this movie and when Let It Snow starts playing I went yep the satisfied. end I'm Closure. satisfied yep got it. Uh, you know what I'm sure John and Holly they probably still had some things they had to work out but they got it figured out they got it taken care of you know mm-hmm. it obviously wasn't as bad as it might have been at the beginning. But they figured things out. I don't know where they, I don't know if, if, if John stayed with her in L.A. I don't care. I'm sure they're happy. I'm sure Al is happy, you know, <laughs> you know, and I'm sure that John and Al became friends. Yes, they stopped the bad guy. I'm okay. I'm good. I don't, yeah. I don't need what to more, see more. What more do we need to know? And I, I will say um, I, I'm going to agree with you that, no, I don't think this movie needs a sequel. And in terms of like, but I like this character. I like all these characters. I want to keep, I want to keep playing in in this world with these characters. That's why I always go back and watch this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't need another Die Hard. I just need to watch Die Hard again. Yeah, that's that. That's what this movie. This movie's so rewatchable. It's I don't know if that makes sense. It's its own sequel. Like you don't need. In a, I don't think this movie need needs a sequel. I think you could just watch this movie. Come back to it every once a year, even, <laughs> yep. and appreciate it all over again. Be like it's the adventure of John McClane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was his one really, really bad day, and that's and that's so. Then, so yeah, my opinion is that no, there does not need to be. There should you don't need a sequel to it. And and then I started kind of in my head going like, well, why? And like you, mm-hmm. you made a lot of really good points. My other thing is like, well, how how would you have topped this movie? A, how could you have topped this? (laughs) And then B, yeah, I know. And then B, like, is it, does it all of a sudden then at that point become utterly unbelievable? And does it, does it take away from the first one if you find a way to top this movie? And now it's like, oh, so this over the top ridiculous stuff just keeps happening to this character. To this poor guy, yeah. Right. And then it's like, uh, now you're starting to lose me about the about the character and about mm-hmm. this world that you did so well at introducing in the first film. Now it's just like, oh, so this is just kind of commonplace for him. Okay. And I think this is something mm. that we will talk about again and again, or you will talk about again and again on this podcast, not mm-hmm. just in the series that I'm doing with you now, but the future series, is that we live in a climate now where franchises, franchising is the name of the game. Yeah. World building, universe building is the name of the game. But that wasn't what the standard was in 1988. No. The standard in 1988 was make a movie, make money, move on. Yep. And movies now, to a point of utter just i hate getting to the end of a movie that has the balls to think it's going to get a sequel right out of the bat you know you oh, get yeah. to like like uh i i know some like marvel movies are made with the intention uh marvel movies are treated like 
a TV series, mm-hmm. uh, treated like a season of a TV series where you get to spend episodes with this character, then episodes with this character, then we get to the season finale. That's how the phases of Marvel's are, Marvel movies are handled. Mm-hmm. Yep. But then you have movies like, uh, I'm, I'm, um, I'm just trying to think of one that had the guts to think they would ever get a sequel. It's like... Um, uh, like the Hunger Games, obviously, they went in with the intention of making more of those. But oh. Divergent, for example, Divergent thought they could succeed where Hunger Games had succeeded. So they made a movie that had an ending like, oh, don't wait, there's more. Right. And that is nonsense. Yep. If you can't make a movie that tells me, okay, look, set, build, setting up other things that you could uh, you could work on in future movies is one mm-hmm. thing. But when it's pulls away from the completion of the story you're trying to tell so the point where it's like oh is so you're 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 purposefully telling me only this much so you have something to talk about in the sequel right that uh, you assume there you go green Green lantern is an example of a more recent film in the past less than 10 years that's like oh yeah you have the you think you're gonna oh that's cute that's cute just tell me a complete good movie please If you can't tell me one complete movie, how am I supposed to ever get on board with watching a sequel if there ever was a sequel? And there's so and, and I'm worried about like or not worried. I'm 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 intrigued in the future to see how many times perhaps in the past mm-hmm. this has happened to movies or you know just in other franchises and to see what they've done with those with with those situations when they did make a sequel, but yeah. it didn't continue anything that mm-hmm. we just saw. I have a feeling that's going to be like Halloween three and four. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) But to to tie this into to Die Hard itself, the reason I went on that on that tangent about discussing sequels and franchising is Die Hard is so refreshing of a film now, all these decades later, because it's a complete story. Yep, there wasn't any sort of "Don't wait, there's more," which you got you got in the past. You did get that in the past with with movies. Um, intermittently and it's just become more and more commonplace to assume that if a movie is going to do relatively well it'll get a sequel it's refreshing to watch something like Die Hard to get a complete movie a complete story and go good Good. now I don't have I don't have to pop in the next movie I don't have to wait to see answer any questions I feel complete yep and I and that's why I say no I don't think Die Hard needs a sequel I but agree wholeheartedly, I, but I do I do love the character so much <laughs> that I would say yes. It may be this is a character that deserves to be seen again. How's that for an answer? <laughs> I like that answer. I like that answer, and that's that, that's you're 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 talking along the exact same lines that I am, and that was that was kind of my my general my general thought process behind the film is just being like yes, me personally, no, I do not need a sequel to Die Hard, but. Mm-hmm. Because of just, I am content with how the story ended, how it was wrapped up. But yes, I like the characters enough that if you were to throw a sequel at me to Die Hard, perhaps called Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Harder. (laughs) Then maybe I will watch this. Wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me who's in it? Okay. All right, let's watch. Let's see where they go with this one. (laughs) Now, you think... So just kind of looking at the numbers, the Die Hard, trying not to make this be top shelf, but I can't help it. Um, Mm -hmm. Die Hard had a budget of $28 million and in its theatrical run, it grossed 80 in the U.S. 
alone. That's in '88. That's a huge success. Exactly. So now, is that the reason why there's a sequel? Do you think Hollywood went now? Why now? Let's so so we gave our personal opinions. Do you think Hollywood mm-hmm. went? Well, I made a lot of money. People seem to like this character, so we're gonna make part two. Uh, it, if if John if John McClane in the Die Hard movie itself was the anti-Rambo, Hollywood already had multiple Rambos. At least mm-hmm. in the pipe, they were planning multiple Rambos. So, and I think maybe that was the mentality of, hey, people like action movies that continue. Let's do another one. <laughs> yes, you could argue that with the with *Lethal Weapon*. You could argue that with a lot of those eighty franchises and just that general time frame. So. Okay, interesting. It, it 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 is a good business move to see a movie a twenty a twenty two million dollar budget. You said twenty eight, twenty eight million dollar budget that tripled its budget. Mm-hmm. That's a huge success. And any any businessman's gonna go. Well, let's do this again because this was clearly a formula that worked. And when we get into Die Hard two, that that'll be a discussion to be had about what works what doesn't doesn't yep. obviously yep and and that's that's where that's where this kind of taking a step back a little bit that's where this podcast series is going to have the most fun because obviously in a lot of cases the first movie in the franchise is always going to be like well yeah we i really enjoy you know most of the time not all the time yeah i really enjoyed it that was a great film yeah you know yeah i could have used a sequel because that would have been a lot of fun to see that no we don't need a sequel the real fun is going to come into the subsequent movies in the sense of did this live up to being a sequel to the previous film? Should this have been the direction the movie went? Where could it have gone that might have been a better sequel? Like, Mm. that's where the fun's going to get. The first ones are going to just be, let's reminisce about the movie and how awesome the movie is. Yeah, (laughs) we're going to spend an hour, uh, like 45 minutes, talking about how much we loved or hated the movie and about a little bit of time discussing the sequelness of it. Yep. You're, You're right. Getting into two to three. Oh. Five, like whatever, wherever the series goes, or whatever series you choose to discuss. Yep. Yeah, you're right. The discussing, does it live up to the first? Does it deserve to keep going? Have yep. we had enough? Give me more. Why did part four, what about this movie worked that the studio went, let's make a part five when right, it's exactly. already so far gone that it doesn't resemble the first film? Like, like or, or that maybe talk. it does. I don't yeah. know, because we're only discussing about number one right now. Exactly. 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 And I do know there are certain franchises where they got better as they went into their sequels and then started getting crappier again. So that's what that's for another conversation, <laughs> another series, another episode. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, um, I guess honestly, with with that information, I I feel good. I feel good about it. Our final our final verdict is that we personally believe that there should not have been a sequel to Die Hard. We we didn't we don't need a sequel to Die Hard right. because we feel complete. The movie's complete in its own. We're happy with it. We're content. Yes, it's its it's its own story. We're okay with it, but we're okay with there being a sequel. Yes, yeah. The, okay. the character deserves to be visited again. Yes, because it was such an interesting character. Now, again, out of our heads as to what is the next movie just going I would like to see more of that character what else did what else would happen with this character where else could they go with oh, it yeah well there's a fair question for you I know we're we're getting near the end here and we don't want to keep going mm-hmm. there's a fair question for you if you were to make a sequel to this movie what would you like to see ooh yeah. interesting 
That's a good question. I, I would send... I don't want to see John McClane getting his marriage back together, living and and seeing all that, the paperwork, if I may put that as a term. I don't right. need to see the paperwork. Let's come back to this character a couple years later and see how he's doing. Would I? Would you put him in a similar situation? See, there's a... Okay, okay. Uh, do you, do you kind of have a thought of what you would do if you did a sequel? That's what I'm trying to think of, and I'm trying to okay. think of... <laughs> what, trying to, what I would do, yeah. if they're going to make a sequel to Die Hard, I don't think John McClane should be the main character. I think he should be the Obi-Wan Kenobi Al character. Okay. Have okay. someone else get into a, into a situation similar, kind of similar to what we just experienced in Die Hard 1, and you need an expert who can solve this, who can deal with this situation, who's someone who's lived through this before, get me John McClane. Gotcha. Something like that, maybe, and and, and st- especially staying with the late '80s, early '90s mentality of of how movies were were to be made. If you were going to do a sequel just a couple years later, I would make John share the share the movie with a second. So where Al was at the car, now put at, not Al himself, but a char- a second character side by side with John, and put them on an adventure together. Gotcha. Okay. Because if you think about it, now I don't want to predict the future here, but yeah, that's yeah. essentially what three is. Exactly. Oh, yeah. and we're going to have fun when it comes to part three. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but there you go. That, that'd be my pitch. Yes, right. I don't think it needs a sequel. I do think John McClane deserves a sequel. And if it were going to be a sequel, I would make him share the screen with somebody. That would be my pitch for a Die Hard 2. Because, 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 because John, I know I'm, I'm on board with that. That's a really great idea because John McClane himself, even when they go to him to be like, look, we need your help. He would still be himself being like, no, I am. I did that shit once. I'm not doing that again. I'm not going through. I got my, you know, like in little, little comma, I got my family back together. I'm, you know, I'm going with my wife, whatever. I'm Mm -hmm. like, it's little comments. It's anniversary dinner with Holly. I can't ignore her. We, We have troubles as it is. Yep. Yeah. We have that party tonight. Don't forget. Um, they're calling me into work, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, I'll be there. I'll totally be there. Don't worry. I'll be there. And then just have him being out there trying to help and don't make it be another, you know, it's not another hostage situation in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a building. And they're trying to like, you know, don't, don't literally again in the eighties, they would have just rehashed the first film's plot. Maybe eighties. Have you seen hangover Two? <laughs> What what are you talking about? There's only there's oh, only one hangover. Only one hangover uh, yeah. <laughs> just like there's only three Indiana Jones films. There's um I'm gonna crap for that when we start talking about those. Um <laughs> but no, like there's like don't don't put it in the same scenario. Cause even even if even movies like Lethal Weapon, yeah, the first two are very similar. The third one though kind of departs and goes a different direction, and the fourth one kind of departs and goes a different direction. Like like just more adventures with that character, but don't rehash the first film again. Don't do a sequel. Put put it be somewhere else. Put it, you know, yeah, if you want to have a bad guy and have a hostage, okay, that's fine. But don't put it in a building. You know, don't <laughs> don't make it the towering inferno again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no, that's a good that's a good idea. That's something that would be something that we need to keep in mind for future episodes because that's a great talking point. What would we yeah. do? If we, if, 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 what would we do for the sequel? What would, what would this be? What should have this movie have been when it comes to the sequels? Not necessarily the first film. 
That's a good idea. Wow. See, look oh. at that. We, oh. walk, I went, we went into this podcast having a very basic idea, and now we have better ideas. We've and created a structure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yay, structure. So, so die right. hard, everyone. Die hard. Great film. Oh, I love this movie so much. It's so much fun. But, uh, well, with that, I, obviously, uh, as, we, as we made a slight reference to, we will be back hmm. for Die Hard 2. Die Harder. <laughs> it's going to be a fantastic film. Uh, TC, where, where, uh, uh, go ahead and plug stuff. If you have anything you wish to plug anywhere, where can people follow okay. you? All that uh, fun you stuff. Can, you can follow me on Twitter at TC's Big Head. I don't use it very often, but I've been using it a little bit more here and there. And if you want to see some of the movies that I've written and directed, you can head over to firmamentfilms.com and uh, check out some of the shorts that I've done. What about your podcast? Uh, you yes, guys, I do. You have guys a have been doing forever. I, I wasn't sure if I could plug another podcast. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> if you want to hear me talk at length about uh, current movie uh, news and older movies as well, similar to what we're doing here, um, I have a I have a podcast called The Rewatchman, where me and my co-host Benjamin Toe uh, take a look back at a movie we have a strong feeling about, but we haven't seen in a long time, rewatch it and determine if it's as good or as bad as we remember it. And that's available on iTunes for free. It's a great show. Great podcast. I enjoy that oh, podcast so much. <laughs> and it's not just because I've never been on it. <clears throat> I've tried. I, yes, I've tried I know. I've you on several times. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just giving you crap because I've been meaning to get on that show at some point. Uh, and then for me, you guys can follow me. I am on the Twitters. I will randomly live tweet movies that I watch just every once in a while. I did it for the entire Nightmare on Elm Street franchise and Friday the 13th franchise because I was bored in the months of August and September. <laughs> uh, I am at Random Bell. Um, if you wish to listen to more of me, I also used to have a podcast, which you probably will see in the cover art of this podcast, uh, Top Shelf AFI Top 100, which I did with Miss Lindsay Shank. Uh, we have 110 episodes where we watched every single movie on the AFI Top 100 and talked about each one similar to this just different <laughs> still uh, so you can find that great on itunes podcast. as well very it, digestible my rewatchman will go on for hours you guys were very smart about your length <laughs> we got we got like after the first 25 episodes we we're like oh we gotta make these shorter because <laughs> we can't do it <laughs> and people are gonna get bored by these so <laughs> But uh, that was a lot of fun, and we wrapped that. We wrapped that up in May. So all 110 episodes are out there. Some bonus ones, some uh, just a clip show at the end, and a wrap up. A lot of lots of fun there that took place over the last two and a half years. So go check that out on iTunes as well. And with that, TC, I thank you very much for being on the show with thank me you, today. Jeff. Thank yes. you. We'll be back next time for Die Hard 2, Die Harder. And until then, I don't have a sign off. <laughs> That should be just my sign off because I don't, I never have a sign off or anything. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Bye, everybody. See you, everybody. This has been a production of Ghost Hat Media, proud member of the Ghost Hat Network. Find them online at www.ghosthat.net. <laughs> I like the ending. <laughs>